Well, gang, good morning. Or Merry Christmas again, either way. I, I will say I absolutely loved kind of studying the birth of Christ as we've been going through Luke 1 and now to, to Luke 2 outside of the context of, of Christmas. And one of the reasons I've loved it is I think it really pushes us beyond the, the sentimental um, sentimentalism that we, we feel around Christmas. And, and so it, it actually causes us to uh, address the text and uh, come to this passage in a way outside of that context is, is really helpful for staying within this context, if that makes sense. I, I hope you've been enjoying it as much as I have. Uh, so today, turn over to, to Luke chapter 2. We'll be getting in verse 1. So just Luke chapter 2. And as you're doing that, uh, I did want to point out some. I want to know if you've noticed the pattern that we've seen through the book of Luke so far. Uh, so far, we, we've seen this pattern. There was the foretelling of John's birth followed by the foretelling of Jesus' birth. There was this interaction between these, these two young mothers, Mary and Elizabeth. Uh, and then the, the, the birth of John followed by the birth of Jesus, which we're going to look at today. And, and this comparison by this pattern, Luke, the author of Luke, uh, really wants us to compare John with Jesus, to, to make this contrast. So consider this. Both Mary and Elizabeth are, are godly women and unexpected mothers. Uh, Elizabeth is unexpected to be a mother because she's simply too old. But uh, Mary is an unexpected uh, mother, even more astonishing, in fact, because she is a virgin. They both were told by the angel in advance that they're, uh, what they're, uh, about their sons and what their names should, should be. If you remember, Gabriel said that John will, will be, his name is going to be, uh, John will be great before the Lord is what Gabriel said of John. And we're so amazed by that until you get to Jesus and you realize that he said that Jesus would be great without any qualification. He said John will be filled with the Holy Spirit, but then we see that Jesus is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. We see that John's name means gracious, but Jesus' name means God saves. John was to prepare the way of the Lord, but then we see that Jesus is the Lord. So, so listen, the, the reason it's written this way it's so that we can see just how amazing John, this, this prophet of the Lord, is going to be. And yet we see Jesus right after that, and we see how supreme Jesus is to John in every way. And that's exactly the way John would want it, too, as you'll see later when we hear it from him. Um, but but it, it should surprise us a little bit when we see the supremacy of Christ over and over and over again. And then we get to the birth of Jesus, and, and we're going to see here that, that even as Jesus reigns supreme, he enters into the world in the most humble of circumstances you could ever imagine. Well, let's, let's read that. We're going to read the first 20 verses of Luke, beginning in verse 1. Follow along, if you will. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her first son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in a field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all people. For unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there, there with the angel uh, was a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one, or, one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And, and they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at it, at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We, we thank you for the incarnation, for his sinless life and redeeming sacrifice, for his glorious resurrection, so that every man, woman, and child who looks to him with faith can rest assured that their sin is forgiven and an eternal home awaits them. May, may we never grow tired of this glorious and true story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's the situation. There's this guy named Octavius. Uh, his name's not mentioned here by, by name, but he is the, the first Caesar, the first Roman emperor who's ever over the entire Roman Empire. Uh, and he says, everyone has to go back to the town you're from because they didn't have computers and better ways to do this. Uh, and you register there and you'd register and that's how you would end up paying taxes so that Octavius and his government could get that money. And, and so Joseph, uh, who lives in Nazareth at this point, uh, takes his patroves, uh, similar to a fiancé, to his hometown of Bethlehem. And it's the same town that his, his great-great relative, uh, King David, was from. And, and it's always intrigued me when we, when we come to this passage that when, when God comes to dwell among people, that he could have just, just chosen to appear as a strong, handsome, wealthy, 22-year-old guy, Right? And yet he begins his humanity just like every one of us. He relates to us so closely that he begins as a zygote in the womb of his mother and comes into the world in the usual way. And so anyway, here's the greatest event in the history of the world. And it's occurring in this, this little known town at the most, for the most part or of little importance at this time in history. And hardly anyone is aware of it, even in the town at this point. And in fact, uh, they end up, right, because the end is booked, they're, they're staying in a room that, that also was where they would bring animals in at night when it got dark and cold. And, and, and so while they're, they're, you know, and so while Mary is there, she goes into labor and she gives birth to Jesus and, and there's no crib and so they lay him down in this manger, right? How many of you know with the fact what a manger is? You're sure of that? I, I, I ask this because I, most of my life, actually, if you'd asked me what a manger was, I would have said it was the little barn thing that you always see over baby Jesus in the pictures. I don't know where I got that. Maybe everyone else knows way ahead of this for me. Um, you're much more intelligent. Uh, but it's not. The, the manger is the long box that they would put the straw and other food for the animals uh, in. And so that's where it was. It, it, it'd be like, and I think I mentioned this last year, the year before, that it, it'd be like if, if Jesus was born... And then they took him and, and, and they laid him into a really big dog bowl. That's kind of what they're saying. This is where animals eat. And so Jesus is born in this insignificant town to very simple, relatively poor parents. 
And his first bed is this animal bowl for, or your food bowl for animals. And, and here's the picture here. The, the humility that we see here with Jesus' birth sets the pattern for the way that all of Jesus' life is going to go from that day forward. He, he is the humble Lord of the universe. The humble Lord of the universe. Christians, this is the pattern for our life as well. Right? You're not Christ. You're not the Christ. But this is a, a pattern for our lives as we see it all throughout the, the New Testament in particular. And, and it's so easy for us, really. It's so easy for us to, to, to just drift into prideful patterns. To, to find ourselves insisting on our own way or, or thinking of ourselves as more important than we really are or more important than others. Find ourselves seeking revenge or, or being angry when we don't get credit for something that, that we think we deserve to get credit for. Or, or the honor and the respect that we think we've earned for one reason or another. You see, the, the humility of our, our Lord should humble our hearts as we seek to follow Him. You look to the Savior and we see this, right? And so then he, he sends this angel to, to announce the birth of Jesus. God the Father does. And it, it might surprise us that Jesus isn't, again, you know, born to powerful parents. And now we see that, that God doesn't even send his angel to the, to the socially uh, elite, to the politically elite. If I were to, to have to guess, I would have said that the first people to hear about the birth of Christ on earth was going to be the priest. That's what I would have told you. But we see that the priests aren't the first to hear the good news. Instead, he sends this heralding angelic creature to announce this humongous historical events to shepherds out in a field. No PR firm would recommend this, ever. Um, so you know every profession carries with it some reputation, right? You, you have these cultural ideas of different professions. Uh, doctors and pro professors tend to be respected for their intelligence, uh, overwhelmingly so. Social workers are respected for their, their compassion to care for other people. Um, and you think about our culture. There, there are a few uh, professions that don't have the best reputation all the time. Uh, lawyers have a little less noble reputation in our society, as do uh, used car salesmen and politicians and, and various other things that we have. And again, these are just reputations. You and I both know that not all used car salesmen are shady and not all lawyers are terrible people. You probably know some that are wonderful people. But, but those reputations are built on the backs of some, some salesmen being shady and some lawyers being terrible people. And so you've you got to understand at this moment, though, the reputation of shepherds. Or you really miss what's happening here, what God's doing in, in choosing the shepherds. See, shepherds were, were the most, uh, not the most highly respected profession in the Jewish society. In fact, uh, their testimony, if you went to court, a, a shepherd could not come in there and testify because their word was worth nothing. They, they couldn't hold any public offices in their culture. And this is all because of the reputation they had, that they were thieves and liars and unintelligent and such. In fact, the, the ancient Jewish author, not long after Luke, in fact, uh, Jeremiah, not the prophet, but an author, said, uh, There is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. That's the people that God goes to first with this announcement. You see, God doesn't care about their reputation. He, he sends this, this angel this angels to the shepherd to announce this glorious moment in history. And so it's the middle of the night. There's no lights like we have today. Even when we go outside, we don't ever experience the world like they did. We have so much light coming up from the earth that you don't ever quite understand it. But it was really, really, really dark. 
And you see at night, the, the shepherds, in order to care for their, their flock that, that, of sheep that are with them, uh, they would gather rocks and make a fence-like structure that they would go around, and they would herd the sheep into this, this, uh, this structure. There'd be one exit, and in that exit would be where the, the, the shepherd would sleep. They'd lay down. That way, if a sheep tried to get out, they'd have to go over him. Uh, the rest of the, the shepherds would just be various places within the pens to protect them from any intruders, uh, mostly animals that would come to eat them. Um, and so it's dark and it's quiet, and suddenly there is this just boom, illuminated creature before them that they've never seen in their life. And I know we hear this story, but can you imagine what it would actually be like to, to be in this moment? It's dark, and suddenly there is this creature you've never seen. It looks like something out of a sci-fi film, even though they wouldn't have seen a sci-fi film. Um, maybe you've experienced on some level. You ever been just startled at night by, by anything you can think back to? Uh, I'll tell you, when I was in maybe the fifth grade, I, I can remember being in my bed one night, middle of the night, and, and, and being awoken by this, like my door just violently being kicked open uh, to my bedroom. And, and I could barely make out this outline. There was a man standing there in the door, and he had something in his hands. And I can just remember being terrified in that moment, not knowing, you know, what, what is going on here, and just absolutely terrified. And I can remember shouting something, like, who are you? What do you want? Just... You know, I probably need to change my pants afterwards. It was so scary. And, and the man standing in the door didn't say a single word to me. He just started walking towards me with whatever is in his hands. And, and as he got closer, I could finally see, that's my big brother. That's Greg. Uh, and he's holding his bed sheets, all of them, his comforter, everything. He's ripped off his bed, and he's carrying them to me. And he throws them on my bed and just turns and walks out of the room. Never says a word. I didn't sleep hardly at all the rest of the night. <laughs> Terrifying. Um, the next morning, I, I asked him about this. He had no memory of it. He was sleepwalking for some reason, took all the sheets off his bed and brought them to my bed. But <clears throat> he had no memory of it. And, and, and I, just, I mentioned this because it was such a real terrifying moment. I think it's hard for us to imagine what it would have been like for these shepherds in the middle of the night to have this happen. You're like, oh, it's glory and beautiful. No, this is terrifying. Um, Right? And, and, and they don't ever get that relief. Like at one point I got to say, oh, it's just Greg. I'm okay. They never got that. It was just constantly, this is an angel. Um, but, but, but the shepherds, right, they don't get that. Just this, this terrifying. And, and then it says in verse 9, right, that the, the glory of God shone around them. Shone around them. See, the, the word glory is originally a, a Hebrew word. It comes from this Hebrew word, kavod, and it means weight, like something really heavy. If I set it in your hands, right? Um, C.S. Lewis, you might know, wrote a book called uh, The Weight of Glory. He was comparing those words to each other. There, there, there's this heaviness that, that comes with glory that, that makes itself known. You can't ignore it. It'd be like if I, if I walked out there right now and tossed a 16-pound bowling ball into your lap, right? You, you'd feel it. There's no avoiding the fact that it's there. It carries weight. And, and, and see, God's glory carries weight. It changes things. It, it changes everything in ways that nothing else can. And, and so while it comes from this, this word for weight, the way we usually see God's glory in Scripture is actually a bright, blinding light, a, a dazzling light. It's, it's so luminous that it can't possibly go unnoticed. In, in Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23, uh, there's this future picture of the eternal city, and in that city, there's this, this huge magnitude of, of this, this luminous uh, God's glory, basically. Listen to this. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. 
And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That, that's a picture of future reality that, that God's Word is pointing us to. But, but, but on this eventful night that we're looking at in our passage today, this, this is in the past, and the glory of God shines, and, and these angels appear out of absolutely nowhere. And the experience for the shepherds is, is just what we might expect, what we've already mentioned, right? That they were absolutely filled with fear, as verse 9 tells us. <clears throat> and we see when anyone gets a glimpse of the glory of God, one of the things we see is they also gain this sense of awe and fear of God. Something changes in them because they, they, they suddenly understand themselves so much better, Right? There's this understanding who God is, and then there's understanding who we are, and and that contrast really puts us in a right position. I mean, think of this. Think of the the prophet Isaiah. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but uh, Isaiah chapter 6, he he has this vision, and he's before the throne of the Lord, and he looks up upon the Lord, and and he's looking, and suddenly he finds himself so fearful because the, the weight of God's glory causes him to say this in response. He says, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we see God's glory, even a little bit, we we start to realize, we start to gain a better understanding of ourselves that we're not as good, we're not as pure, we're not as kind, not as moral or strong or anything else that we might believe we are. Because when we see God's holiness... And God's strength, we, and just the weight of His presence, His glory, and then we, we just know I am nothing compared to God. It's like a parent, you know, arm wrestling a child. Any of the children in here, I bet I would absolutely whoop you in arm wrestling. I will challenge you any day, any time. I would destroy you. Right? And I can feel pretty good about that until Dwayne the Rock Johnson shows up and he's like, arm wrestle me. Because suddenly I would realize I am not strong. I, I am not nearly as powerful as I think I am. There, there would be this new baseline of what strong actually means. And you see, when, when men and women see God's glory rightly, they, we realize the distance between God and ourselves is, is far wider than we ever imagined. In other words, when the glory of God shines light on our situation, we are exposed. Our sin is laid bare, and we are all too aware of it. And and that's the shepherds here. And so they're terrified about this this creature, right? But they're also terrified because they see the glory of God, and they suddenly realize, woe is me. And so the angels tell the shepherd, of course, do not be afraid. That's one of those things in life that's so much easier to say than to do. It's kind of like when when you find someone who's frantic, and you're like, calm down. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, right? It's difficult to actually do. And the angel gives them this reason they should calm down. He says in verse 10, For, for behold, I, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And what exactly is the good news? Well, verse 11 tells us that, you know, that he's telling them today, listen, on this very day, shepherds, the Savior has just been born. You might notice there's, there's three titles there given to Jesus in verse 11. He's called the Savior. We've talked about that already. Uh, someone who, who rescues another. He's also called the Christ. That's, that's not his last name. H is not his middle name. 
Um, it's the Greek version of the Hebrew word for Messiah. Again, referring to him as the, the, this, this title, this, this title of an Old Testament person, an Old Testament uh, uh, Messiah that they were was prophesied that God was going to send to his people. And that third title in verse 11, we see there is Lord, meaning someone with authority, a, a name that is used often to describe the Lord God Almighty. And that's the way it's being used here. Because that's who Jesus is. I mean, do you understand then that, that Jesus' birth is good news for every one of us who is a sinner? It's good news for that. For us. I, I know some of us will, will beat ourselves up on this sense of, you know, I messed up again. I, I failed again. Why, why did I sin in this way or that way? And we're saying that because of Christ's birth and his life and his death and his resurrection, we don't, we don't need to do that. Sure, we, we want to see victory over sin. Sure, we, we need to be engaged in the battle against sin in our life. But, but don't lose sight of the fact that, that if you're aware of your sin, that in itself is a gift of the Lord to you. And, and the reason that is a gift is because Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. I mean, when you get down to it, all a, all a saint is, when we use the word in the New Testament sense, is are our sinners who confess they are indeed sinners and who look to Jesus with faith for their forgiveness of sin. So now our, our, our text today, the, the angel tells these shepherds how they're going to recognize who the Messiah is. Um, how to, to find this newborn Savior. And then, and then suddenly there is this multitude of heavenly hosts. Host is just another word for angel there. Um, and so you picture this. They, they've been speaking to this one angel, just dumbfounded by the amazement, uh, amazement of it. But, but now there are maybe hundreds of them, maybe thousands of them, just a multitude uh, of angels. And, and, and like a massive choir, these angelic beings and chorus just begin singing. And we see the words they sing there in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Can you imagine that? Just what a sight that would be. I mean, next time you find yourself out at night or early in the morning, the stars are still out, just try to imagine that picture of just a multitude of angels singing this to the Lord. What a statement. And it's a sight that the book of Revelation tells us that we will someday actually see. If your faith is in Christ, then, then one day you will actually get to see these things we are reading about here. I just, I can't imagine. And so within their songs, that phrase, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Um, first of all, this is, this is peace in, in a sense of rest for their souls. Um, Epictetus, who was a famous philosopher in Luke's time, he, he wrote this. He said, this is interesting, he wrote this. He says, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than outward peace. And neither the emperor nor anyone else can, can give peace that we really need. The peace that we have with God himself. I'll, uh, I'll tell you, I was talking to my, my mom this past week. My mom is 70 years old. She was a, a teacher for many years. Uh, sixth grade English teacher, which you wouldn't believe if you've heard my grammar very much. Um, but anyway, she at this point in her life is a, a retired and a substitute teacher. And I'll say I've been praying for her now since I've come to faith 23 years ago. And in and, and God's providence this uh, two weeks ago, and in one of her classes, she found a, a Bible just sitting on the desk of the, the teacher there. 
And out of absolute sheer boredom, she picks up the Bible and just begins to read in Genesis. And so she gets out of school and calls me up and just starts asking me all these questions. You know, uh, she, you know, why this and what's this and how's that and all these kind of questions. It was one of the best conversations I've ever had with my mom in, in my entire life. And um, so she, she, you know, after that, though, um, she asked me if I'd pick out some churches uh, and she'd go visit them near her home. And so we're talking about that on the phone this past Thursday. And, and she suddenly says to me, I guess I should go to church and get right with God before I die, right? And I told her, oh, yeah, that's my hope for you. And it's just one of those things. I, I don't know what the Lord's going to ultimately do with it. But, but I will say, she, she says that phrase, right, that's really sticking with me here. I guess I should go to church and get right with God before I die, right? You see, that's, that was her way of saying that she needs to have peace with God. And that's the peace that this marvelous, this wonderful, this glorious child that, that we're seeing be born in our passage today. That's the peace that Jesus comes to bring to God's people. So, so listen, if, you're, if your faith is in Christ, it's, it's because God was pleased to give you faith, to make peace with you. And, and maybe, maybe you need this passage today. Maybe, maybe that's why we're here today. That may, maybe you need it just to remember that you, you don't need to be anxious about the future. Because God has given you the only thing that you truly need. Peace with God. I mean, that is of higher value than we ever give it credit for. You are at peace with God. I mean, as a believer, if the truth of that doesn't just make your knees shake, just, just push you into glorious praise of the Lord, I, I, I don't know that you truly understand it. You are at peace with the creator of the universe. And you weren't always at peace. So, that, so then... So then the angels leave these shepherds. They go see the baby. And, and I don't know. We don't think much about it. Um, but it was a huge deal that they go do this. Because they've got this huge flock of sheep behind them. And either you bring them into the city. Which is not a real good idea. Um, any of you that have raised animals might imagine. If you had to walk down New York City with a bunch of animals. Uh, it's also not a good idea to leave them back there. Maybe there was an intern they left behind them to take care of them. I don't know. Uh, but whatever it was. It was a big deal for them to leave their sheep and go do this. And... Um, but they do. They go and they find Mary and they find Joseph and whoever else is there with them. And they share what the angels told them, causing verse 18 to tell us this, that, that all who heard it wondered at it. Except for Mary. It gives us a different explanation for what Mary is. So she pondered it in her heart. You know, when we talk about God in flesh coming as a child, it's a strange thing for us in our modern time. People hear that and think it's bizarre. It sounds crazy to them. It, it certainly sounded crazy to Mary also. It, even as she held the child in her hand, you know, the, Christ, it, you know, it, it would have sounded crazy to her. But, but I can only surmise it, it was reassuring to, to hear these strangers, these shepherds of all people, walk in and, and, and give this message that confirms everything that the angel Gabriel had said to her before, nine months earlier. You see, it might do us all good to ponder in our hearts the birth of Christ, to ponder the life of Christ, the work of Christ, the love of Christ for us, to ponder the gospel more than we do. Now, I, I will say, I love the way this passage ends. You, you visited babies, I assume, in your life. They don't do much. Um, 
Yes, your child's cute, but it doesn't do anything, right? Just sits there and eats and cries and poops and then does it all again. Um, you know, that's, that's what Jesus would have been doing as well at this point. And, and yet the shepherds understood as they, they look on this child that the, that the future hope that is involved here, that this child would fulfill uh, all these things they had heard about, and, and then they leave. And as they leave, we, we see the most glorious thing. It says in verse 20 there that they are glorifying and praising God. You know, we don't, we don't know what the shepherds were doing before the angels showed up. They, they're in a field. Maybe they're telling stories. Maybe they're complaining about something. Maybe they're telling jokes. Who knows? But uh, now they are praising God as they wander back out into their fields. See, maybe they've, they've known something from childhood about the Savior that was going to come. And maybe they believed it and been hopeful for it, but, but they might have also, you know, had stopped believing as, that as adults that it was ever really going to happen at some point. And yet now at this point, they, they've encountered the Messiah and they are forever changed by this encounter. It's like the, the woman at the well in John 4.42. You remember Jesus spends a lot of time conversing with her and, and she, she so believes in, in faith in Christ and, and she goes and she goes and tells her entire village about Jesus and they come out and they meet him and, and they say to her uh, at some point, they say, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That that's what the saviors have come to believe, to know of this little baby in the manger. He is indeed the savior of the world who will save his beloved people. Now, now you'd think that the shepherds here, and, and this is another thing that's always mesmerized me with this passage, you'd think, um, you'd think they'd quit herding sheep at this point. They'd go into some sort of full-time ministry, they'd write a book, they would start some you know, traveling speaking tour across the country, missions, something like that, but they don't. And I absolutely love it. I love that there's nothing to make us think that they do anything other than, than what they were doing in the sense of, of being shepherds. Instead, they go right back to the job they're doing, back to, uh, but back with a new understanding of the world in which they live. Back with hearts overflowing with praise to God. They, they, they show us that even mundane careers are, are good in the sight of the Lord and can be done for the glory of God. And so then, this is how God puts on flesh to dwell among mankind in a real and actual history. That's what we're talking about. This is not some, some mythological story. It's history. And the reason that, that Jesus does this, that God does this, is so that the God of the universe can be at peace with you. If you know that your sins are forgiven in Jesus, if you know that, rest and rejoice in that, for that is a work of God in you. That is a gift of God to you. If that's not you, I want you to know that this child who, who humbly entered the world, this child grows up, he does amazing miracles, he proclaims forgiveness, he, he lays down his life on a, a Roman cross, which is a perfect sacrifice to purchase the forgiveness of sin, sin. And, and, he will, he, and, and for all who trust in Jesus by grace through faith, he is a Savior, the Savior. And, and so this is, this sort of end with this. So, so either be seeking God, rather be seeking peace with God through Christ this morning, or this morning, be resting in the peace that you have with God through Christ. Those are the only two options here. Either we are not at peace with God and we need the Lord to be at peace with God. 
where we are at peace with God and we can rest in that. When we take the, the Lord's Supper here in a moment, that's going to be what that's about. You, you can rest, not in your goodness this week, not in all the things you may have done, but rest in the fact that Christ is, is a Savior, your Savior. Let us pray. Lord, Lord, would you give us hearts and minds like Mary on the day that the shepherds visited her? That we too would, would treasure up all these things and, and ponder them in our hearts, Lord? Lord, thank you for this miraculous pregnancy and the, and the simple birth that changed the world, that, that changed our lives and eternities forever. It's the name of this, this precious child who is our precious Lord, Jesus, we pray. Amen.